So last week we heard from the very beginning of the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. All right, and we're going to hear from this letter every week, uh, really right up until Ash Wednesday. So we're going to work through about the first quarter of this very important letter. Uh, and remember, Paul himself started the church in Corinth. He began it. He went to Corinth. He visited the synagogue. He began to preach in the synagogue. He taught the teachings of Jesus. Uh, after he was removed from the synagogue, he, they usually the Christians usually met in homes, and it was there where he celebrated the Eucharist with them. And then after a couple years of this, after a couple years of instructing this nascent church, uh, he laid hands on another man, empowering him to lead the church. Then St. Paul left and he went to Ephesus to begin a church there. He did the same thing. And unfortunately, after he left the city of Corinth for Ephesus, uh, things for that young Christian community began to fall apart. So Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians to try and help them resolve some of these problems that they were dealing with. And last week we heard his greeting to the Corinthians, just the very beginning. We heard like the first three verses of that letter. All we heard was his greeting, and yet that was very, very important for us to hear because he revealed to us, he reminded the Corinthians and all of us who read it today, that above all, we are called to holiness. We are called to be saints. And that means that we live in a way that's very distinct from people who do not believe. It means that we even think in a way that's very distinct from what we see in the mainstream. Well, this week... Paul starts off, he starts to address us, and we're still very, very early in this letter. We're at verse 10, I think. And this week, Paul starts to address some of the problems that were going on in Corinth. There were things, all these problems that he addresses, they were getting in the way of them living that holy and distinct way of life. And the very first problem that Paul addresses in this letter are divisions and rivalries in the church. Now, that's very important right there, because within this church in Corinth, there was rampant sexual immorality, in case there was even a case, in fact, there was even a case of incest that was going on. Uh, the poor were being treated very poorly, all right? They weren't even allowed to sit in the same space as some of the richer Corinthians. So there's some serious injustice and serious immorality going on. And yet the first thing Paul addresses is disunity and division and rivalries. Specifically, what he says here is that the Christians in Corinth, they were starting to put labels on themselves. They were putting labels on themselves that were causing unnecessary distinctions. Specifically, they were saying things like, well, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to uh, Cephas. 
All right, all that's a way of saying is, is I prefer their teaching. I prefer their pastoral style a little bit more than I like the pastoral style of these other people. All right? And Paul has no time for those types of distinctions. He scolds them, reminds them that first and foremost, they need to define themselves as belonging to Christ. Now, of course, this is the early church here, so church leadership. There were still very few leaders that they would have had uh, uh, a lot of, of interaction with. Uh, but in our own day, we have all kinds of labels of our own that cause similar division. Now, I'm not even talking about denominations here. I'm talking within our Catholic Church. And some of these labels, they especially become tempting and problematic who, for Catholics who are very devout in their faith and Catholics who know their faith well. If you know your faith well, you're, you might be actually more likely to sort of feed into this problem of division because some, today some Catholics, they might label themselves as a traditional Catholic, sort of distinguishing themselves from Catholics who, who worship a little bit differently. Other people might label themselves, we see this one too, as a Vatican II Catholic to distinguish themselves from anything that happened in the church before the Second Vatican Council in 1965. All right, some say they're charismatic Catholics. All right, again, to sort of distinguish themselves from, from other Catholics from time to time. Now, of course, our Catholic faith, it's so vast that there are many preferences that we can have that are perfectly legitimate. But when people use these labels to distinguish themselves from other Catholics who also have perfectly legitimate preferences... They're doing the exact same thing that the Corinthians were doing. And again, Paul found that very repugnant. We also do the same thing with church leaders today. Right? We hear people say, I don't like Pope Francis. I wish we could go back to uh, Pope Benedict and, and Pope John Paul. Other people say they love Pope Francis. They're so happy that uh, Pope Benedict resigned. And I've even heard people uh, express their happiness when Pope John Paul II died back in 2005. Again, all this is incredibly harmful. It's completely beneath what the gospel tells us, calls us to. Again, you know, it's okay if a certain pope in their ministry might resonate with you a little more than another. But the pope is still the pope, and we don't get to pick which church leaders we learn from and which ones we ignore. All right, all three of these popes that I mentioned, they were all pointing us to Christ. And if you've ignored them or dismissed them, you may have unwittingly deprived yourself of wisdom to help you live a holy life, to help you live that distinct way of life that's out of the mainstream. All right, when we dismiss or ignore a church leader, a legitimate church leader, we get division. It's every bit as repugnant as the division that was festering among the Corinthians. And I also want to say that sometimes uh, the leaders that we might struggle with the most, they might actually be the people who have the most to teach us about living that holy and distinct way of life. The ones who challenge us have a lot to teach us. 
When the church is divided along these seemingly arbitrary ways, the church really becomes nothing more than a group of people living according to their own opinions and preferences. And that doesn't distinguish us from any other group in the world. Instead of division, Paul calls the Corinthians and all of us to a deep unity of mind. Now listen again. Paul says, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. Okay, of course, for our parish that matters. You know, it's not enough to be in union with, you know, our circle of friends in the church. Our entire parish should be of the same mind and of the same purpose, the same mission. But it goes even beyond that. The unity that Christ calls us to goes far beyond our parish. He calls us to a unity with other Christians around the entire country and even around the world. Not only that, he calls us to a unity that transcends time. What we believe today can't conflict with what people learned about God in times past. Now, this does not just mean, well, again, that we're in union with them. This is why we need church leaders. But before I talk about church leadership, I do want to talk about, just reflect a little bit on this transfer of power that we've just had in our nation. And I want to preface this by saying I know people who voted for both the major candidates, and I know people who voted for uh, third-party candidates. All right, And I believe that these people that I know that I've talked to, they did so prayerfully, they took this very seriously, and they put a lot of thought and prayer and voted in good conscience, okay? So I'm not judging anyone's vote. However, I do want to say that some of the mainstream attitudes that we see right now in support of the president, I think we need to really examine those in light of our faith, okay? I think there's a better way that we can live and think. But on the other hand, and I especially want to say this, is that some of the mainstream opposition to the current president is also a bit flawed. Okay, some of the messages that we're seeing, very, very vulgar, uh, and also quite a bit beneath what the gospel calls us to. So I think now more than any, not now more than ever, uh, we should open ourselves up to perhaps a third way of looking at the world. It might not be in the mainstream, okay, but it might be more in keeping with the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the church that we see. All right, if every Catholic open themselves up to that third way, to a new way of looking at this, and put some of their own opinions maybe behind them, I think we'd see some unity, and and we would probably be visible enough by offering a third way that I think a lot of people on either side of the political spectrum would find that very attractive. But if we're going to do that, it does mean that we have to make sure we put God first, make sure we put... Uh, what our church leaders teach us about God first. That's very, very, very important. And of course, when I say, you know, we need to put church authority first, I get that a lot of people are very suspicious 
of authority, whether it's secular authority or whether it's spiritual authority. All right, I get that. It's often viewed with suspicion. But authorities in the church, they actually make sure that what we're hearing, that we today are hearing a message that does not conflict with the message that other Christians are hearing around the world. All right, the Pope and the bishops, they make sure that what we learn about God in Cowlitz County is the same thing people learn about God in places that are far away from us. And churches that lack this type of authority structure, all right, they don't often experience a great deal of unity outside of their own church building. Of course, in our own day, the criticism of authority in the church, both from within the church and from outside of the church, is that this authority prevents us from thinking freely. All right? Now, I haven't found that to be the case. The fact that there are people in the church who speak with authority on the scriptures and how they're to be lived in our own particular time and place that doesn't restrict our freedom. It actually grants us greater freedom. It sets boundaries for us so that we can freely take our thoughts deeper and deeper into the mind of God. Not apart from the mind of God, but deeper into the mind of God. And it's as we all go deeper into the mind of God where we experience this deep unity with other Christians, Christians in our parish, Christians around the world, and even Christians who've lived many years before us.